<laughs> right and uh, cool but that's the real you not a bot right i won't tell i won't tell <laughs> <laughs> hello and welcome to episode 134 of rockstar cmo f and the m is for marketing and the f is for well you decide as you're probably wondering does the world need another effing marketing podcast I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but I've picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from sysadmin to CMO, and each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and share with you some marketing street knowledge that hopefully will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 30th of September 2022. Hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as sane as you need to be. On this week's episode in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark shares his tips for buying marketing technology. I go backstage with Max Kozilek, CEO and co-founder of the conversational marketing vendor Spectrum. And we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar where Robert Rose shares a thought over a cocktail. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. <laughs> On to our first segment, the Martin Studio with Jeff Clark. Jeff is our resident Rockstar CMO advisor and former Forrester Serious Decisions Research Director. And this week, we talk about buying tech. Welcome back, Jeff, or I'm welcomed back to the Martin Studio with Jeff Clark. We're How are you, the, my friend? We're, we're in the virtual studio and we're ready to we roll. We Turn on the indeed. tape machine. <laughs> I should make some sort of big clunking noise now. So, you, but well, then again, you, you want the whirling, you know, the old, the yes. big, you know, the big, the yes. big tapes on reels. Of... Yes. Well, you know that um, if people have listened to some of the music we've played, they probably think that's how we actually listen to music. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that and eight tracks. Going back to my reel to reel, you know, no eight tracks. <laughs> yeah, no, not a good experience. Oh. All right, let's get back on the topic. So um, this week, uh, as promised, we're going to dive into buying marketing technology because we talked about this a bit last week uh, when we were discussing CDPs and reading the script. And I need to be careful about this as a representative of marketing technology vendors. There are nearly 10,000 solutions in Scott Brinker's marketing technology landscape. Therefore, wow. well over 10,000 hungry wolves with quotas eager to make you little red riding hood. <laughs> Thank you for that line, Jeff. <laughs> You're welcome. We so, covered some of the, yeah, so, so I just want to throw in my caveat is that yes. is the one is that, you know, I mean, I, I like you have been on the side of, of the wolf and, mm -hmm. and two that um, wolves, you know, they get a bad rap 
they're not that bad, you know. I mean, they're 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 apex predators, just like we are. So, uh, so anyway, we should just be comfortable with them, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> all right. Well, we covered some of this stuff last week when we were discussing CDPs, and we sort of started straying into some of the advice that we would give if you're buying any kind of marketing technology, right? So I thought that we'd focus on it this week. And you also covered it in your article, which has got a fabulous title, Beware the Martech Industrial Complex, which people can find either in the show notes or at rockstarcmo.com. So when dealing with these wolves, <laughs> what say you, <laughs> Jeff? Say you? So I think that uh, one, I mean, the one thing is that is that I want to distinguish between like what we had covered before and mm-hmm. beware the industrial complex is, is kind of like yeah. just good Martech planning perspective. So we're going to assume... Mm-hmm. For this discussion, that you're you're you've read that you're you're doing that yeah. you're doing your due diligence down that that path, yeah. Um, and so what I I I was thinking of was kind of like seven lessons to make sure that you're focused on solving what you need, and that's you know yeah. as much fun as we're making of the the marketing vendors. <laughs> I mean they're yeah. they're they're selling products, they've got salespeople, yeah. they've got quotas, they're yeah. they're just they're doing their job. Well, but the thing is, you want to make sure that you're solving for your problem. And, uh, yeah. and, and so, you know, it's time for you to, to, you know, buckle up and, uh, you know, do this right and make sure that you don't, uh, you know, don't get yeah. hoodwinked. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's fascinating because I think a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to a MarTech uh, vendor leader and he was saying that for years we were a solution looking for a problem. Right. And that's what a lot of these, <laughs> Sort of 10,000 hungry wolves are doing, aren't they? Yeah, they're, right. they're not focused necessarily on your problem. They're focused on their solution yeah. and, and, and creating for you the vision that you've got the problem. I'm a bit disappointed there's seven lessons, mate, because I thought we normally stuck to F in five, but here we go. Yes, <laughs> so we'll have, to, we'll have to step through these quickly. <laughs> What's your first? First one is own your journey. And I think the mm-hmm. thing that I like about this is that, is that you know, so far – in marketing it's like a lot of times we try to think of our customer's journey but yeah. in this case we want to think of our own journey so i'm assuming right. that the person who's going to take this advice is going to be the champion for solving the mm-hmm. problem so they're that's mm-hmm. one of their 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 personas and yeah. they're going to walk through the you know and obviously there's different descriptions of buyer journeys but from where i came from there's the education phase the solution phase the selection right. phase and little sub phases yeah. yeah and so you know Typically, you don't get serious with a vendor until you mm-hmm. hit selection phase. But right. obviously, there's various touch points along the way. And so what you really want to do is to be able to, you know, think ahead to kind of mapping out that journey that you're going to go on. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, and as we go through the other points, it's kind of like, you know, think about where mm-hmm. am I intersecting, uh, you know, the vendors, yeah. the consultants, the other decision makers in this process, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I had a similar conversation. I had a conversation the other day with the marketer and it was like they, they were going to look at something. And I said, well, what if you like them? You know what I mean? So you, are you going to go ahead? But So you need to preserve this process, don't you? Yes. Like, yes. What, what are you, it's great that you're having that conversation, but what are your requirements? What's the process going to be? Who else should we look at and all that kind of stuff? So that's good. So own your journey, the first one. What's the second one? Second one is just to ask yourself, do you need a consultant? You know, are you, for what you're doing, are you over your head? So if I, you know, if I run their website and I want to get into personalization and I could be beholden to what the vendors are telling me, but I may want to just kind of, if if there's nobody else within the organization, I may need to kind of step out and find somebody who can help me go through this. I remember when I was uh, at, uh, at Progress Software years ago and we were replacing our, 
internally built CRM and marketing automation platform mm-hmm. uh, with you know with off the shelf products. So we actually hired a consultant to kind of come in, help us go through the whole process. And certainly, if you're a large company, that that's you know that's why you have the Accentures and the <laughs> Capgeminis yeah, around yeah, to, yeah. to you know help guide you through yeah. purchasing technology from um, from some other vendor. Yeah. Yeah. But when you say about, um, you know, when you're talking about consultants there, I mean, that can come from any any angle. And I'm Absolutely. surprised you didn't put this one first, Jeff, because, you know, I think you could probably help some people. with this. I, <laughs> yes, I yes, I could. But I but again, first thing, you own your journey. You know, you're bringing in the consultant. It's not the other way around. I'm, I'm kidding. But yeah, I mean, all sorts of places you can go to get help, isn't there? I mean, including yeah. your old crew at, at the Forester and stuff, yeah. isn't it? That, that yep. can help you. So that's the first two. Own your journey. Uh, do you need a consultant? What's number three? Determine where you're going to introduce the the buying team to the vendors mm-hmm. because, you know, so early in the pro I mean, from a tech planning perspective, you want to understand who all is going to be involved. And if you kind of like yeah. map out the data or the processes, you'd say, oh, you know, I need to get sales ops involved or I need to get, you know, customer support involved. And, and yeah. so and you may need to get IT involved. So it's like yeah. who who is on your buying team and when do you think any of them were going to interact as you kind of map out that buyer journey, because in some cases you may have somebody who's like a, you know, a key influencer who's going to help you. So they're going to help you do the education. Maybe they're going to reach out and talk to some vendors. Um, And, and again, you just want to, you just want to be more in control of this process as opposed to somebody from left field coming out saying, Oh, you know, I talked to ABC company. They are wicked. Cool. Let's go with them. And, you know, yeah. and then that derails you for a little bit on your journey. Yeah, I like that. And that, that really touches back to the first one, doesn't it? About owning that journey yep. and understanding that. Yep. And um, nice bit of Boston there as well. Wicked cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so number four, what's your, what's your fourth? Leverage RFIs, RFQs, RFPs. I don't know if there's other RFs out there, but, but you know, there's requests <laughs> for information, requests for quotes, requests for proposals. Yeah. So, I mean, these are all, you know, they're, they're, they can be, and of course, sometimes, you know, if something's simple, you don't necessarily have to go through this process. But if, you know, if it gets a little bit complex, it's like this helps you steer the process and also helps you, you know, when you are connected with a, with a vendor or a set of vendors, you, you'd say, okay, we're at the point where we're, um, mm. you know, we're, we're not ready for a quote or demos or anything. We're just in request for information phase. So, mm. you know, and then you want to make sure you're communicating clearly with the vendors about what you need at, at each of those steps mm. or for each of those milestones and who else, I mean, they'll always want to know. So who else is involved? Yeah, who else yeah. are you talking to? Yeah. Um, and again, if, you know, until you get down to that selection phase where you're actually going to say, you know, there's three vendors where it's mm-hmm. time to get quotes, it's time to go through demos mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, you still want to be at that point, they really want to know who, who else you're considering, but, but, you know, be open and honest with uh, any vendors you're discussing with, this with. Yeah, and as I've spent most of my career on the vendor side and in pre-sales and stuff and spent a lot of time with RFPs, I think there's a couple of things I would say about that. One is is try and make your RFPs as specific. Oh, well, we could probably do a whole episode on RFPs, we, right? We could. But, the, but I like that last point is to be open and honest because there's a significant to get a really good rfp response the vendor is going to have to make an investment in you and you need to make it clear to them where you are in the process and what you're willing willing to commit into this process and and also you know to be to be kind to your your vendor friends is is to don't make them jump through hoops 
just for the yeah. sake of jumping through hoops. And that's the other yeah. thing about communicating clearly is like, yeah, you know, because yeah. I know it's being part of organizations where it's like you keep churning out RFPs, but but the people mm. aren't serious. And it's like, you know, you want to you want to yeah. be honest about where you are in the decision making yeah. process. Yeah, absolutely. And if you are just at the moment in that education phase, people will help you. Right. And they will help you with education. But tell them clearly you're only in education at the moment. You're not. Yep. you know you're not looking to buy it at this point and and don't put it on your forecast yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right so uh let me just do a quick recap though so we're owning the journey we're wondering whether we need a consultant we're determining when to introduce people from our buying team into that journey and we're going to leverage we're going to leverage rfis rfqs and rfps what's the fifth don't be a guinea pig <laughs> um, you know, and it's really good that wolves and guinea pigs don't exist in the same environs because they would probably, you know, guinea pigs would be, uh, you know, a nice treat for them. But anyway, yeah. the the thing is that for most of the technology that that we acquire in marketing mm-hmm. or even in sales, mm-hmm. it's like we're 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 not trying to be the new kid on the block with, yeah. you know, with the cutting edge technology um, that's not necessarily ready for prime time. But it, you know, mm-hmm. if you're looking for something, you know, certainly there's organizations, particularly in the business to consumer mm-hmm. world, that they're trying to do things to get unique advantages in terms of connecting, engaging mm-hmm. customers. And so, in those cases, you know, it may be that you partner with uh, a technology company to deliver something mm-hmm. that doesn't exist for other other companies. But yeah. but you know, again, that's that's like one percent of the time that that may be yeah. a- applicable. Uh, and certainly, I've seen. You know, like I know when a product like People AI came out, you know, which, you know, it's like collecting all this information so you can help build, you know, pictures of your accounts and their and the yeah. buying member teams and all that. Yeah. Wicked cool stuff. And so the, the you know, the, the early people on that journey were people who, for whom getting that kind of advantage was essential on vis a vis their competitors. But I know. I mean, I've had some examples where, like, when we were uh, getting a new market automation platform and we asked a vendor who was more business-to-consumer to add some features that were more for the business-to-business, mm-hmm. and they totally, you know, and I certainly won't mention their name, but they just totally failed. And it's like, then yeah. you go through, you know, a year of trying to make the product work for you, and it's like, well, that's yeah. not, you know, we're not, yeah. we're not, <laughs> we're actually here to do the marketing, we're not here to... You know, yeah. we're not here to to be beta and alpha and whatever pre-alpha yeah. testers are for yeah. for tech firms. Yeah, no, I think that's that. I think that's a, there's an interesting balance, and again, could be quite a good conversation because I think that um, you know, like you say, you want to get unique advantage, so you you do want to understand what's coming, and it's a bit what's that Gartner um, uh, curve, isn't there? Oh, where the, you know, um, you're you're you, you know you're, you're an early adopter or you're the mainstream or yeah. you know and then you and then you have that other one where you're on the the, uh, tr- where certain, the trough certain, of disillusionment yeah the trough of, so i think i think it's good That's if the, you're, hype, um, the hype cycle just the hype cycle yeah. yeah so i think it's i think those reports are great if you're a marketing technologist or a leader of marketing ops to stay aware of what's going on in the market but where you step onto one of those trends is is the key thing, isn't it? You don't yeah. you don't want to be too soon, but then you don't want to be too late either. And, and, and you know, it could be that you've got a vendor who you you mm. know you trust, um, who's introducing something. You know, like yeah. when when AI was being introduced into yeah. uh, content management systems mm. and, and, and dams, and it's like, okay, 
you're rolling out a new feature, I feel you know pretty good that I'm not don't have a lot of risk exposed in adopting yeah. this new version. Yeah, it's like okay, that's fine, but that's different than saying, you know, I'm going to work with uh, a new technology company yeah. on an entirely new type of product that is, you know, again, is very different from what anybody else uses. And again, the only justification to do that is if there's that that would give you as yeah. an organization an an extreme advantage in the market. Yeah. See, and this kind of this pulls at wanting uh, references and and case studies and stuff like that. I mean, during this conversation, I'm feeling a bit for the startup uh, martech vendors out there that are <laughs> constantly facing this challenge of you know tr- not having credibility in the market why don't they have credibility in the market? Because people won't take that risk with them. <laughs> why yeah, don't people yeah. take that risk with them? Because they don't have you know, So, So I think... Um, well, that's you know, where they have is, to partner. You know, that's where yeah. with early customers, they have to partner and understand. Yeah. It's like also the customers, almost like they're investing yeah. in them because they're investing exactly. their time, let alone their money. Well, also, I mean, it's priceless for the vendor because, you know, some bright spark founder came up with an idea until it actually starts adding value to a, a, a proper organization. It's not really a thing, is it? Yeah. It has to be a demonstra- demonstratable thing. All right. So they were the f- they, they, that was our, our fifth. What's our, and as we move out of our comfort zone of five effing things, <laughs> <laughs> what's the sixth? <laughs> New waters here. Um, yeah. See, it, well, determine, and this is kind of part of the, again, when you're looking yeah. at mapping out the journey, is like where, where do you need demos, proof of concepts, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, because those are things that that'll that'll make the vendor expend a lot of time and energy, and you know their yeah. own, uh, you know, time from their, you know, probably their their technical staff and stuff like that. So, so yeah. you know, to make sure you're using the best of their time, and make sure that you know, it's like, when do I need to have either myself or members of my team mm-hmm. see a demo? Do I need to get a proof of concept before making? Mm-hmm. A, a purchase because mm-hmm. sometimes the you know you'll you'll make the the agree to purchase the product and then say okay now you need to build the POC mm-hmm. f- just for us before we get into rolling out and implementing yeah. the whole thing. But yeah. if it needs to if it needs to be part of the buying process where you need to understand, are, am I going to get the benefits that I want to get, mm-hmm. or am I going to cause data issues, process issues, people issues that I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of? The proof of concept helps helps mm-hmm. with those, and so. So again, it's just determine because those can be really in in the purchasing yeah. process. Those can be really key things, you know. In addition to price, you know, it's like you're mm-hmm. going to get the quote, and it's like, and it works. And we've yeah. seen it work. Okay, now I know among my three vendors or more, yeah, uh, who I need to pick. I think that's. I'd love to know. I'd like to know where you sit on a paid POC, but also I think that a really good demo that uses the customer's data or images or content or whatever the product is kind of starts to bleed into being a proof of concept isn't it yes. you, you start to get that feel oh this can work with me or if they or if the vendor actually asks you about your processes and who's in there and they map that into the product for the demonstration you can get a good sense there can't you yeah and uh, before you go into proof of concept but how do you feel about paid versus I think, unpaid you, know, could, I, you, 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 know, you probably need to determine up front is like is mm-hmm. is that is that going to be necessary for me to make a good decision mm. and if it is mm. then let's budget for it you know let's make yeah. that you know the, yeah. the budget for the 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 new technology you know shouldn't mm. just be 
the the license or subscription yeah. price. It should be the yeah. training. It could be if there's a Absolutely. paid POC that should be included. Yeah. If the consultants included, you know, yeah, so yeah. it's like you you've got to think about the you know which yeah. could be a, another thing we could add to this. But you know we don't want to go over seven. Is just like <laughs> what's the full cost of yes. of this particular yeah, yeah. implementation of this new yeah. technology? Well, there's also another element to cost, which I think this whole thing touches on is. How much time are we willing as the yes. client to invest yeah. in, in purchasing this thing? And, and you know it's going to be way more successful if you make the time as well as asking the vendor to make the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also, um, so, so, there, that, so we're, up to, we're up to six. So the, the, what's your seventh? Don't be driven by discount deadlines. <laughs> and, and I hate to say this for any of the um, technology yeah. uh, the reps out there is that yeah. it's just so uh, uh, grating when it's like, okay, you know, it's getting close to end of quarter. I can get you 10% yeah. off if we make the decision before yeah. the end of quarter. I can get, yeah. you know, and and yeah. as much as, and of course, if the stars align and you can take yes. advantage of that, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. So I'm not saying that yeah. it's, it's bad to t- take advantage of discounts, but it's like you just don't yeah. want to make a hasty decision. You want to make sure you've gone through your process and that, yeah. you know, by getting that 10, 15, 20% off, up front, you're not causing yeah. 10, 50 percent more expense down the road because you, yeah. you know, you need to fix something, or yeah. you know, you you you've got into something where you're going to need to spend extra money on consultants, <laughs> to, yeah. you know, to make to make it yeah. right. So. Yeah, no, and I've seen this from the vendor perspective, and I've seen it, I've seen it played very well by the client in that they know they almost look at you and go. Yeah, well, in three weeks' time, we'll be in the quarter, mate. So let's have a chat then. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I, and I've also, um, and you know, you, you also see, you know, the desperate rep trying to close the deal and just basically fucking it up because nobody wants to see that kind of behaviour. You know, that hunger, like your your wolf analogy, that hungry wolf look. <laughs> <laughs> and you think, hang on a minute, where's the value if, it, if, if this guy can make such a big discount? But yeah, so that's a really good one. So if I just do a quick run through. So first one, own your journey, which seems to be a common thread through all of this stuff is that you're in control, right? Yep. Do you need a consultant? And then I think the nice thing about consultants as well is they've probably done 10... 20 100 of these in the Absolutely. last sort of year or so yeah. right whereas this may be your first so yep. it's always good to have somebody to help you on your side and also remember that the vendor also has that advantage they're doing these every single week right so if you can have a trusted advisor with you to help guide you through that's great number three determine when to introduce your buying team to vendors very much related to that journey thing number four leverage rfis rfqs and rfps number four Five, don't be a guinea pig and be eaten by the wolves. I really <laughs> didn't want to go with that wolf analogy. But so why do you keep mentioning it? <laughs> and number six, determine the need for a demo, proof of concept. And number seven, don't be driven by discount deadlines. I think that's an excellent set there. Uh, Jeff, uh, there is actually, um, because, uh, oh, yes, because I dived straight into this because I knew that we were going to be short of time. But uh, you, well, well, how's the weather? <laughs> Well, um, I'll just I'll just say that I hear um, I hear you're coming up the coast uh, for us because we have uh, Hurricane Ian crossing, unfortunately, crossing into Florida, yeah. which means it'll make its way all the way up to New yes. England. Um, 
And uh, so I'll, I'll wave at you at the eye. Of, I'll wave at the eye of the hurricane as, as you go by. <laughs> as I skim by. Well, nobody asked me if, uh, about the naming rights I, for that. So um. <laughs> I know, and I've never heard of a hurricane, Jeff. Um, so <laughs> maybe I you're feel next. shy, shunted somewhere. Yeah, maybe you're next. All right, and then the last um, item on our agenda. What song are we going to play out with, Jeff? We're going to play out with Gold by Prince. Uh, and That's this is actually was your suggestion. Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> I won't go into what my suggestions were, but anyway. But there's a great line. In, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great tune. And, you know, almost any yeah. tune by Prince is, uh, is, yeah. is up there. In, uh, but this is all the glitters ain't gold. So, yes. you know, just remember, you know, there's a lot of nice shiny toys out there. But all the glitters ain't gold or more appropriately Perfect. is not gold. Yes, well, I'm very much looking forward to playing out with a bit of Prince. I think the first time on the show in 134 episodes. Could be. And uh, I'll drop that in there. And uh, Jeff, will you be back in your marketing studio next week? Yes, I will be back. Excellent. I'll see you then, mate. See you then. There's a mountain, and it's mighty high. You cannot see the top unless you fly. And there's a morning. Proven ground and ain't nowhere to go If you hang around Everybody wants to sell It's already been sold Everybody wants to tell It's already been told What's the use of money If you ain't gonna break the mold Even at the center of the fire There is coal Thank you, Jeff. And that was Prince and Gold from 1995 and some great tips there for your next marketing technology purchase. Speaking of marketing technology, time to go backstage with my guest, Max Kozlek, from a background in law and politics. It's the founder and CEO of the Berlin-based startup Spectrum, a conversational marketing platform that powers many of the world's leading chatbots. Marketing teams from disruptors to Fortune 100 companies rely on Spectrum's platform, conversational AI and customer success to design experiences for their customers. It's a fascinating topic. Hope you enjoy this conversation. From Max to Rockstar CMO FM, how are you? Very well. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. And where am I speaking to you from today? I'm currently in the very sunny Berlin in Germany. <laughs> it's very nice. I'm very jealous because I'm in the UK and it really is not sunny today. So that's a start. <laughs> We're absolutely obsessed with the weather on this show. So that starts off really well. So for people who have not met you, Max, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I'm Max. I'm the CEO and founder at a company called Spectrum. Um, doing this now for uh, six years. And we help large brands to use conversational marketing, which we will talk about in a second. Yeah. So you're a software vendor that provides this conversational marketing functionality, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And myself, I have a background in, in law and take over or oversee all the commercial uh, things at Spectrum. So that's interesting. So uh, you're a software entrepreneur that has a background in law. I didn't realize that. It turns out it becomes it's very, very handy uh, when you deal a lot with uh, GDPR, CCPA and all those kind of things. And you know contracts with your with your customers and so on i so far it, it's it's very handy it saves a lot of money <laughs> yeah i can imagine and so let's dive into spectrum what is it exactly you guys do and this conversational marketing what does that so, mean 
it means that we help brands like 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 Ford or Zalando or the really big ones um, to use channels like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Instagram DM, DMs, Google Business Messages, and so on for their marketing. Right. So not for support, right. for really for their marketing to make money. So it's mainly as it's outbound when you say conversational. So it's the marketing parts, the important part of conversational marketing. That, where it's not like chatbot support and that kind of stuff. It's more about engaging with a potential customer. Absolutely, absolutely. It's like a, it's a chatbot that, uh, it's a chatbot on the one hand that helps people to find what they're looking for to get mm. things done. And I don't know, maybe to a product mm. finder for them. Or, um, that's that's one part. And the other part is we help to re-engage people with push notifications, um, which have an 80% open rate. So that's like 10 times better than, than any email. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you do that across all channels. So you mentioned WhatsApp, you mentioned Facebook and chatbots for websites. So it's like a consistent uh, conversation that happens across these multiple channels. Absolutely. The users are already there, right? So WhatsApp, Mm -hmm. Facebook Messenger, these are the biggest platforms in the world. They have 1.5 billion people on there. And this is a trend, you know, another phase basically where brands again, have to go where their users, where their customers are. And these customers are now on these channels. That's where they spend most of their time. Right, right. So so let's dive into what you guys mean by conversational marketing then. And that's the idea that you're having this two-way conversation with your audience across these different channels, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So in order to be present on, for example, WhatsApp, it's a completely new interface, right? So it's a chat interface. And in order to be there and to have meaningful engagement with, with your audience, you have to provide an automated conversation because on the one hand, that's the interface. So you need to have a conversation. On the other hand, you have a million customers. So you have to automate it because otherwise you have have no chance. And luckily with our technology and a lot of advancements that have been done in the field of natural language processing, this is now po- uh, possible and creates a great buying experience. Right, right. So there's, it's more to, than just connecting a human being to a marketer. You've actually got some AI in the middle that's actually fielding the questions, that's, that's sending the promotions and that kind of stuff, right? Correct, correct. It's a lot of, you know, it's, it's both best of both right. worlds, right? So on the one hand, you need the human to script a few things to provide the rules. Mm-hmm. And then there's the AI, AI which is helping when... The rules are not working anymore. Then the AI takes over and right. support there. Right. And then your customers, how do, how do they make that distinction between marketing and service? Because I've always found, or I've always given advice, that if you're going to open up a new channel, you need to be ready that your customer will want to be supported on that channel. You can't just, you know, be dropping things. You can't just, you know, send people a message and about <laughs> marketing stuff. And then when they have a problem, um, not let them come back to you um, on that same channel. So... It, do you need yeah. to have that sort of thing seamless? Is that the thing, sort of thing your customers do? That's a very important point you, you're making here. It, it's where we spend a lot of our time to build these handovers, as we call that, to have mm-hmm. to basically distinguish, is that a pre-purchase question? So do you have that sweater in blue uh, or in a different size? Or is that a post-purchase question? So they already are a customer. Um this is something we need. We hand over where we make sure that we integrate with uh, customer service tools, so that this goes directly to an agent um, that then can take over and solve the problem for for the user. 
Right, right. Because we're seeing chatbots on most, well, a lot of websites now, particularly B2C websites. So would your software be that primary chatbot that somebody interacts with first and then it gets sort of triages and somebody else will pick it up, some technology takes over behind the scenes? That's exactly that's exactly how it works. And mm-hmm. especially interestingly on the social platforms, the big majority of the questions that people have are actually pre-purchased. So it's very easy right. to understand because for even for the largest brands in the world, still the majority of the people are not their customers yet so so that's why from a from a a numbers point of view that's very easy that still people have a lot of questions about the service uh, the product and uh, that's something we would answer to make also create again a buying experience that is pleasant and but if they are a customer they have a problem then we hand this over to someone else that has more knowledge about that to solve this Right. And are these brands now seeing an expectation from consumers that they need to be on these channels and need to be not just driving advertising and pushing stuff out? They need to get this conversation going. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. It's also sometimes it's very challenging for for brands also to meet these expectations, not only to be on this channel, but also the speed and the quality of the support. That's that's very, very tricky for a lot of brands um, to deliver that. Um, which because of that, because they're not meeting the expectations then they're leaving the channel, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. obviously yeah. also not the right approach to that. But I, I, right. that's a really difficult situation to, to manage for, for a lot of brands. Yeah, yeah. And when, um, when I talk about this kind of thing in my world, I, I often refer to years ago, I had this experience with Hertz, where I was in a city in America, and it was like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> You're too young to know. It was like a Seinfeld episode, where I got there. And, and when I turned up, there was one little mini car in the middle of the empty car park. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you haven't got the full size car that I rented, you know, because I had colleagues and stuff that I needed to drive around. So I needed a larger car. And then they're, they're like, no, that's, that's all we have. So they hadn't kept the reservation, to use the Seinfeld quote. And then I went online and I started chatting to their social team on Twitter and their support was excellent. They were very responsive. But, and everything was great, but they couldn't change the fact there were no cars. So, you know, you've got to have that social team enabled to make a change for the consumer. Um, and it's, and you're fully into the channel and that you can offer that service. And I think that's, um, you know, that's that important part of the handover that yes. you were talking about, yeah. right? Uh, with, without the handover, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody, users actually have, don't mind at all to talk to a chatbot at all. It's it's still, because it's, it's still messages, it's still very human for them, even though that they right. know that this is a chatbot and a robot. They don't mind unless you know. Until you have to solve the problem, right? If the mm-hmm. chatbot solves my problem, I'm I'm happy to talk to a chatbot. If I'm getting you know the same stupid answer over and over <laughs> again, and I'm in this endless loop, and yeah. I feel like in a Black Mirror episode <laughs> or something like that, then then people don't want to do that. Right. And they just want to. Uh, then they, that's why I think a lot of chatbots got a bad reputation. Right. And is that the biggest risk to brands when they venture into this? Is that, you know, is that what your customers are worried about when, you know, you talk to these guys and they've had these bad experiences and, and heard things from consumers? And if so, how do you overcome that? And is it is it is it going to get better than that? I think it's it's about um, in because we come doing this for a market for for marketeers uh, for marketing teams, um, we make sure they they build a, a good user journey. Right, mm-hmm. so having a really high quality user journey. Where if you spend millions and millions on your app to create a good user right. journey, 
you don't have to spend so much money on on, on these channels yet um but you still have to create a good experience here and mm-hmm. but if you mindfully craft that experience and have a clear goal you have safeguards if something goes wrong um um then it's there's no user complaining about this and they we track uh, the sentiment of uh, the users and the sentiment is to 98% is is positive it's very positive because people like again you know you help help them to find the right product in a in a in a fraction right. of the time that they would need to do this on the website or elsewhere so they are very happy mm-hmm. with with that so they we don't produce actually this bad experiences it's usually it's only stuff that happens on the customer server side yeah yeah i'm a big fan of chatbots i mean there's a lot of talk that uh, people like millennials don't like to phone anybody and talk to them right and, and the truth is none <laughs> of us really do right so well uh, certainly i don't think so and you find a really useful chatbot and you don't care what's the other end if it solves your problem and then that's splendid so that's conversational marketing mm-hmm. and i wanted off mm-hmm. the questions i prepared for you a little bit there but you've recently published a report on conversational marketing the state of b2c conversational marketing which i'll include a link to in the show notes tell us a bit about that report yeah so we went out and uh, wanted to know from uh, marketers all around the world um how they see conversational marketers, uh, conversational marketing, and I think we interviewed uh, mm-hmm. over 400 uh, B2C marketers um, across the globe, and we asked them about conversational marketing, mm-hmm. about their challenges they currently have, about customer preferences, and if they have already tried out uh, plat- messaging platforms like Instagram, WhatsApp. or facebook messenger right right and so that's the report and i i I think it's great for any software vendor to go and do some research into their customers and i think it's great to share that as well with with Mm -hmm. with your customers you Mm -hmm. know research is great content um but as a spoiler (laughs) and i'll encourage people to actually download the report what insight came of that that you think is most important our listeners should pay attention to from this I, i think there are a lot of good very very good nuggets in there but or very deep insights about this. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's Mm -hmm. that 72% of the ones that tried it found it in the initial attempt very, very uh, promising and very, very convincing. So it has a very high success rate. I mean, in marketing, you have a lot of different tactics and for different brands, just because it works for some brand, it doesn't mean it works for you. Um, so there's a lot of test and learn attitude, and a lot of but a lot of tests go wrong. I think the success rate of uh, companies using conversation markets is very very high. So I would say that's probably the number one um, insight that's mm-hmm. that's in there. Mm-hmm. All right. So was there anything that surprised you? I mean, because you're doing this consumer research, right, on the space into your category mm-hmm. um, that you're entering in. Was there anything that surprised you about some of the reactions you got? Uh, a little bit, yeah. One thing, and that there was, it was a very clear Instagram mm-hmm. DMs were the very clear winner for being the most mm-hmm. effective channel, and and uh, I'm from Germany, so Germany is a WhatsApp country, <laughs> right. right? So it's a completely green country. Yeah. Uh, everybody loves WhatsApp. My my grandma is on WhatsApp, and uh, she is 88, <laughs> right? Um, so I thought I thought WhatsApp had maybe had an edge, but uh-huh. Instagram. Apparently, across, if you look at everybody from all the over 400 marketers, Instagram is the most effective one. Right. right. Well, that's interesting. And then so the report is, is focused on B2C, uh, conversational marketing. That's primary. Oh, oh, by the way, who are your typical customers? I mean, you mentioned a couple of them earlier, but who do you typically serve? 
We work with very large um, brands, mostly completely global brands. So with the biggest uh, uh, shoe retailer in Europe, with the largest fashion e-commerce company, with uh, uh, large automotive uh, brands all over the all over the world. So that's usually our customers. So very very big uh, customers, but they all have one thing in common, and that is that they face high customer acquisition costs and they need a high customer lifetime value and that's if you if you don't have that because you know you only sell something that is 25 25 bucks and and people just do that very regularly that that is fine then you probably don't don't wouldn't need a spectrum but if you have mm-hmm. high customer acquisition costs and you're a global brand then right. you should probably talk to us right right so it's about convenience and service i mean nowadays with well maybe people are getting a bit price sensitive now but certainly the different you know there's no differentiation in delivery times and things like that so this kind of stuff that kind of stuff price and delivery doesn't make any difference anymore so it's all about convenience and it's and it's about service now isn't it that's differentiating these brands so that's probably incredibly important to them um you know in in terms of the 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 b2c world right Mm -hmm. um so you're focused on b2c um and i'm from a b2b background so a lot of our listeners um, do you think the conversation of marketing is just as important in B2B? And what could we learn from what you guys are doing? I think, interestingly, um, here, the B2B world is even a half uh, of the B2C world. I mean, usually you have all the trends that are coming from B2C and somehow then end up in the B2B world. So I don't know, for example, emojis, right? So they started really in South Korea and then they took over and took over and then they landed in the Western world and the beginning was only for kids or for for teenagers and now everybody is using them and we message each other in Slack with emojis. So, so that's really how it went from consumer to the to the corporate world. Um, that's usually how every trend goes. Video was the same. I mean, Loom is a great example of someone who early saw that video becomes important and then created a solution for the enterprise and it's working working like crazy. Um, here it's, it's the other way around, uh, mostly because companies like, like Drift or Intercom, which very early on put the chatbot on the website. And I think Drift is also really the company that created the term conversational marketing and they have a great marketing team and a a great great founder um so they are ahead basically they they playing this game for a longer time a much longer time and brands b2c brands they cannot you know rely on their website because that's not where the magic happens it's really i they have to go much earlier into the funnel and have to figure out where the consumers are and they have to go on the channels like WhatsApp and Instagram DMs. So they have to go there instead of B2B companies can, you know, still wait on the website and, and, and convert you there. So I think that's the difference. So I think here in this case, the B2C world can learn a little bit from the B2B world. Right. So that's an interesting point about where you sit in the in the funnel, in the, in the buyer's journey. And I love the way that you volunteer Drift there as a, as a pioneer in this space. I wasn't sure whether to mention them because I thought you'd feel they were a competitor. Um, but absolutely. I mean, in B2B, 
Um, yep. Drift clearly were the people that defined conversational marketing. And I, I think it's interesting as well that there's a difference in intimacy between B2C and B2B purchase in that you're more likely to engage on WhatsApp or something f- with a B2C purchase, perhaps, than maybe I would with a marketing technology vendor that I'm using, you know, that I've made a B2B purchase from. So that's an interesting, interesting difference. Um Ah, just just looking at the time, right? So um, I've got to move on to the final question. We have a regular feature on the Rockstar C- the on, We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, which I had to explain to you because you're not of the generation where people <laughs> threw things into swimming pools. Um, but it's where we throw all the bullshit, snake oil, and overhyped trends that the plague this industry we love. What would you chuck into that? I think they'll. I would throw in two things on the on the one hand. Um, they already trashed themselves, but I think uh, <laughs> everything that evolved around NFTs and <laughs> oh. the last <laughs> NFTs, uh-huh. uh, I think they belong absolutely there, completely right. o- o- over overhyped. <laughs> um, and the other thing is probably I would throw a big portion of uh, uh, the creator economy oh. um, in there. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's a that's a term that is uh, fairly misleading, and right. um, <laughs> so I would probably throw that in there as well. Because I know a lot of people are just referring to that and hope to get away with that, which I think is often not the right thing. To <laughs> okay, well, they're two fairly controversial choices there. Um, although you know a lot of hype around NFTs at the moment, and uh, you know where they find their place in our marketing, and as for. Um, the creator economy. I think we probably need to dig into that and to, to talk about that a little bit more. Yes, it is. It is. And anyway, Max, mm-hmm. it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, and of course, I will include all of your links in the show notes. But when the listener spins the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Oh, they find me on on, on Twitter, um, of course, of course, and I think on LinkedIn is also right. the the best one to reach out in case you have any question or. Want to learn more. <laughs> right. And uh, cool, but that's the real you, not a bot, right? I won't tell. I won't tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Max. I look forward to speaking to you again. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Max. I'll include all his links, including to that report, in the show notes. And you can find Spectrum at spectrum.io with no you. Right, it's the end of the week. Time to wind down the Rockstar CMO virtual bar where I find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome back to the bar. Uh, Thank you. It's, you know... Since content marketing world, it's uh, it's been a little hot minute, I think, um, mm-hmm. since we were here, uh, and it's now we're you know we're on October. I mean, it's yes. amazing to me um, yes. that we're this late in the year already, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and we're into the fourth quarter. Uh, and so, you know, I thought for tonight. Since we are in the cusp of October, as it were, we would celebrate Oktoberfest. Um, oh, nice! And keep it really, yeah, keep it really simple uh, for uh-huh. this evening's drink, and just yes. crack open a couple of good, you know, let's call them Bavarian beers, um, because that yes. feels right with uh, it does. with the you know with Oktoberfest and all of that. Yes, and uh, you know, Marzens, I think they call them in in Germany. 
Um, and you know, just have a have a have a few, have a few October the, like nice. those giant ones, right? That the beer maidens yeah. will carry like nine of when they come yes. out, and yeah, yes. Oh, that's splendid. Yeah, I spent, as you know, I spent a lot of time in Munich. I was the CMO of a of a German uh, software company, and I've been to Oktoberfest uh, twice. In fact, Kathy joined us once because she was a speaker at one of our events. Your colleague Kathy McKnight, and indeed, that is a wonderful way to uh, to while away an evening with some of their lovely lager. However, even though I have many of their steins that I liberated while I was in in Munich. Um, let me see what the ingredients are. I've got my desktop bar. Yeah. Um, I have, um, I'm going to put ice in mine, <laughs> which is completely wrong. Um, and I am going to use the most uh, Scottish of uh, Bavarian beers, uh, Hendrix Gin. It's funny, somebody the oh, other there day, it is. I don't know. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Hendrix Gin. Yeah. 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 I had a new listener the other day, colleague at the, work. The, the, the most British of beers. Yes, I think they call it. <laughs> yeah. That's the tagline for Hendrix Gin, I believe. <laughs> if you're looking for beer yes. in, in Britain, <laughs> try Hendrix. <laughs> and then I'm going to give it a bit of a fizz, so it is a bit like the lager that you have there, with some. There it is. It's uh, tonic water from the from the wonderful people at Fever Tree with some some. It's not hops; it's cucumber they've got in there. So I'm going to give this a sip. Mmm, that is uber refreshing, my friend. Yeah, I'm down with this, and I can yeah. drink one of these every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what are we calling these? Uh, we'll call that beer. Is what we'll call that. <laughs> <laughs> Prost, my friend, Prost. And uh, where will we be drinking these beers, yes. or have you already given away the location? Well, of course, it's Munich, right? We have to go to mm-hmm. Munich for this because, mm-hmm. I mean, the heart of Oktoberfest and and, uh, and yes. sit there and, you know, and we'll get some good schnitzel. Yeah. I, there is nothing I like yep. better than a good schnitzel. I love it, too. There's a, there's a nice restaurant in London, actually, called the German Gymnasium that does a good schnitzel, too. So you can find them outside Germany, but a lovely, a lovely schnitzel, some beer, nothing better than that. Yeah, I once had really Glühwein at, yeah, I once had Glühwein at, uh, in, in one of their winter markets and a colleague managed to set fire to me because <laughs> they had flaming Glühwein. But anyway, that's a different story. So we're in Munich, memories of Munich. Uh, we're, we're in one of their really cosy bars with the people with the Lederhosen and the, and the Gert Dirndls, I'm guessing. Uh, and it's cold outside because it's October. Uh, and conversation turns to marketing. What's our marketing thought for this week, Robert? Well, it is something that I ended up having a number of conversations about while uh, we were at Content Marketing World this year, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's something we've talked about before on this show, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's one that just seems to not want to go away, and it has to do <laughs> with uh, stakeholders, um, uh-huh. and you know it, it's interesting to me. Because so we 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 think of stakeholders, right? You know, in mm-hmm. our business, and we throw around that term a lot. Um, and in marketing, that list is long, right? The people that are involved mm-hmm. in our success or involved in our process, and because marketing and content tend to touch just about every other function, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's the business leadership, the uh, IT, sales, communications, public relations, product, of course external groups, Mm. even, you know, partners, investors, just about everybody, right? So is a stakeholder. Um, But it's funny because marketing to a lesser degree and certainly content to a greater degree is usually treated like 
an internal agency, um, mm -hmm. an internal, and they look at all of those stakeholders as customers. And those stakeholders see themselves in most cases as customers. So there's this weird thing where I, where I look at a content team, for example, a content marketing team, mm -hmm. and I'll say, oh, well, okay, so your stakeholders are sales and, you know, the demand gen team and IT and sales and all mm -hmm. of those people. Are you stakeholders in their process? And <laughs> they sort of look at me and smile and sigh and go, yeah. no, 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 we're not stakeholders <laughs> in their processes. We're, they are our yeah. customers. And so... Yeah. Literally, the content marketing team is simply the internal, you know, copy shop, right? You know, the kinkos mm -hmm. of yeah. the, you know, of the of the business. And this is the recipe. It is a recipe for failure um, yeah. because it doesn't scale and it doesn't, you know, work because you can't communicate clearly when you're looking at all your stakeholders as customers because you can't service them all in the same way. So someone's always going to be disgruntled uh, about mm. this or, or at least gruntled, if not completely um, <laughs> disgruntled. You know, you can't delight them, that's for sure. No. And so right. one of the things that I've started to really press on in businesses and in, with clients and with those that, you know, will listen to me at all is that if you're in leadership, or you have the opportunity, you, first of all, the very first step is you've got to switch that. You've got to switch mm -hmm. that idea that, you know, content marketing is, you know, you've got to set the establishment that content marketing and content strategy is a specific discipline. It is no more or less strategic than any other strategic discipline in the business, like accounting and, and sales and IT mm -hmm. and everything else. And then once you start to reboot that, Yes, of course, you need to get stakeholders involved because you must do that. You must get alignment with the other, you know, the other activities that are going on in the in the business. But it is looking at stakeholders as investors rather than customers. And that's a, a, a good way to look at it, I have found. Wow. Because if yeah. you look at them as investors, you can start to segment them better. In other words... They are investing in your success and therefore, but you're not there to serve them. In other words, you were right. there to lead them and give them information and gather information from them. And they're there to help you in many ways succeed. And you're there to help them succeed in their investment. But you're not looking at them as a customer, as an on-demand service. Mm -hmm. And if you then segment them into, you know, things like, you know, your, your influencer investors, your champion investors, your detractor mm -hmm. investors, your decision maker investors, all those mm -hmm. things, it puts a new lens on the way that you look at your stakeholder interviews and the way that you align your activities with the priorities of the business. And mm -hmm. once you do that, you can then look at it like a process, right? So it's very much like investor relations where you're not, you don't, it's not set it and forget it. You're constantly mm -hmm. in communication with these investors, talking with them, getting information, relaying information, aligning with their priorities and needs and interests, but not serving them as customers, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and of course, now what does that lead out? Well, it leaves out customers, right? You know, because customers mm -hmm. are stakeholders as well, of course, customers are stakeholders, but not all stakeholders are customers. And <laughs> so, Basically, it ends up being a situation where if you can get aligned on that, 
then mm -hmm. you are actually working in favor of the real customer, not your internal customers. And I think right. it's just an important piece of the way that we look at stakeholder relationships. Right. That's really interesting. How, but I'm thinking from the other side as well. I mean, if you're going to, I mean, the, uh, the, this idea of stakeholders, I mean, it's, it's, a, it becomes sometimes meaningless as a word in terms of describing that relationship, almost as you are saying it there. Um, and investors sounds good to me, but how does that feel to the stakeholders in quotes? Is there, is it, do they need to change their behavior in the relationship with the content team in order for that relationship to work? It, well, it runs the gamut, right? I mean, mm -hmm. in many ways, you know, I have seen situations where there are both extremes and it does tend to yeah. lie at the extremes. There's usually yeah. not a lot of middle ground here, but what I tend to find yeah. is, is that it's either you're asking people to shift their perspective to say, no, content and marketing is not your on-demand vending mm. machine or you know your service mm. or your internal agency, and you need to look at it differently. And them going, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, and being very disappointed mm -hmm. because they were getting what they wanted out of it, right? It's, mm -hmm. you know, if I want a new one sheet or I want a new brochure or I want a different hero image, I put in a request to my internal agency and they give something back to me. It's a service organization. So, yeah. you know, there is, there is that reaction. There's also the reaction of, oh my gosh, thank God they're taking leadership here because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, right. You know, right. It, you know, in the absence yeah. of leadership, you know, some of these other functions have taken over. Like, you know, I talked yeah. to one VP of sales where he was like, thank God we finally have a head of content who knows what she wants. Because, yeah. you know, I've had to fill that role and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I think you do get that. And then what you get requests for are the same stuff you've always done, right? That's right. no change. Yeah, ex you know, well, that's sales, exactly right. Yeah, the sales guy asked for a one sheet because he's always asked for them and nobody has said to him why or how about this or some other um, alternative um, response than yes or no. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's a little bit yeah. like the, you know, the, the waiter in a restaurant walking up to the cook and mm -hmm. saying, you know, I think I want the, I want the steak with, uh, you know, with, <laughs> with French fries and, yeah. the, and the, and the cook goes, well, what did the customer want? And the goes, no, no, no. I, the waiter says, no, I'm your internal customer. You, you give me what I want because <laughs> yeah. I yeah. know what's best for the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's often an analogy, isn't it? For the content team or for that kind of on-demand creative team within a marketing team is short order cooks, right? Indeed. <laughs> they just Indeed. do what they're told. Yeah. You know, and yeah, what, and what it ends up with is, is that they're, you know, you, and the way, and the immediate way you can tell is mm -hmm. I say, show me your editorial calendar. And yeah. A, if they don't have one, you know, that's the case. Um, yeah. But B, if they do have one and it looks like a to-do list, it's basically just a yeah. to-do list of all the requests that's come in. Then, yeah. you know, basically it's not a calendar. It's literally just yeah. uh, how long you're going to wait for your order to come up. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, um, there's no editorial discipline then either, is it? It's, I mean, because one of the things I thought you were going to say about stakeholders is that everybody's a marketer, right? Everybody knows or has an opinion about what we should be saying, what we should be writing. And if you're just a short order cook or, a, or, or Kinko's, you're going to do what you're told and you're going to create that thing. And then you've got 15 different subjects and topics floating around in the, in the ether, right? Well, there's a there there is a subtle level <laughs> here that we've also talked before on this show about, yeah. and I've written about, which is the difference between content creation and production, right? And right. the yeah. one of the one of the keys of marketing and content 
additionally, you know, in addition to sort of the idea of strategy, if you will, or planning, if you will, is the conflation of content creation and production. Most businesses, and this is the reason the scalability becomes a problem, most businesses Mm -hmm. look at marketing and the content team as a production team. In other words, they are there to execute ideas that the business gives them and put them into pretty packages. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're literally a production team instead of a content team, which is creating stories, thought leadership, utility content, how-to content, and even marketing content. And then as a business, we're making decisions about what those stories and thought leadership and words and pictures and ideas mm-hmm. get packaged into and th- those t- those are two very separate processes that should be that should be taken but most look at it that way and so when you get that sort of everybody's in marketing you know mm-hmm. culture built into your your business it's usually because marketing and content or the design team is seen as a production agency and basically everybody thinks they have great ideas or to my earlier point, they don't think they have great ideas, but in the absence of great <laughs> ideas, they're saying, well, here's mine, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a great point. And we always come back to this kind of relationship that um, that marketing has with the business, in particular, the content team. So I think it's, it's a very rich vein of of, of content there. And um, so if people wanted to to learn more about how to run their content teams and, and they and they were looking for somewhere that clearly is driven by a calendar, where would they find one of those, Robert? Well, you shouldn't <laughs> look at me because we are definitely <laughs> not driven by any calendar. Um, we are, you know, do what I say, not as I do, folks. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, we're doing the best we can, but, uh, the, you know, we, we definitely, uh, could use a little organization ourselves in terms of our <laughs> uh-huh. thematic calendar, but it's all at contentadvisory.net, our little, our little website on the, uh-huh. on the interwebs. I love it. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, mate? Well, they'll find me these days mostly on LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. That seems to be an explosive challenge or channel for me at the moment. It's right. a lot of, I'm having a lot of discussions out there. Cool. I, I'm actually, uh, in all seriousness, I'm finding LinkedIn uh, valuable for both, you know, sort of the business side and the day jobs and that, and and the way that to reach B2B marketers yeah. and as well for myself. I find that yeah. Twitter, the engagement on Twitter has gone right down. All right, that, that's that's splendid. And when can I start asking you about the progress on your book, do you think? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Not for another couple of episodes, no? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're gonna wanna you're gonna wanna save that for let's let's save that for another four weeks or so. <laughs> All right, well I'll start badgering you with that. Well thank you very much, Robert. And uh, most importantly for me, will I see you in the bar next week? Of course you will. Excellent. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. Turning stakeholders into investors there. Great advice. So that's a wrap on episode 134 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff, Max and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or rockstarcmo.com, where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasty jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? You can let us know on the socials or please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or <laughs> just keep listening. I'm glad you're here.
Next week, I'll chat with my old boss, Grant Johnson, CMO Embers, about CMO mentoring. Jeff will be in the studio and Robert will be back in the bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll join us again here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.